Shame has no right to tell you that what you've done is now who you are. All right. You guys hear me? You love Jesus? Say yes. All right. Got to make sure we're in the right place. You know what I'm saying? Hi, hi guys. My name is Willie. Uh, I pastor a church um, in uh, not, foo- not too far from here. I'm the student pastor there. Um, but, um, you know, this place uh, feels, like, feels like home. I've been here before, not actually in this place, but when you guys are at the other church. And now I get to uh, experience uh, this new place. And uh, I actually got to preach um, here earlier. I was here with the Orchard Hills family and got to hang out with them um, uh, and that was really fun. That was really awesome. And so it's an honor to be with you guys. And uh, yeah, it's exciting. Exciting to be here uh, with you all. Um, me and my wife, she's not in here. She's kind of running around with my daughter. But it's good to be here among family and friends, people I love. Got my boys here on the left. And uh, yeah, it's good good to be here with you all. Um, so yeah, hey, this morning, uh, I, I just wanted just to share a little bit about me and my story uh, share a little bit about that and just kind of talk a little bit about that. Um, let me just start with, uh, I grew up in a smaller town um, called Cleburne, Texas. Anybody ever heard of Cleburne or been to Cleburne, Texas? Yes? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was pretty small, and I grew up there in that area, and uh, my parents were actually in ministry uh, at the church there. And, uh, and growing up, I had just this expectation over me uh, just because I was kind of like a pastor's kid. And... Uh, and because I had, when I had problems, when I had difficulties, insecurities, just different things like that, I, I really felt like that I couldn't really share um, those struggles with anyone else just because I was a PK uh, and I was expected to hold this high standard. And, uh, and uh, because of that, I, I just, my struggles, I didn't tell anybody about those struggles. And it, it allowed for me to um, just really not um, be the person, it allowed me to pretend to be someone I'm not. Uh, and if you've done that, you know that pretending to be someone you're not is, is an exhausting thing. Uh, and because of that, um, it led me, I was leading a, a small group, a junior high group of, of students. And uh, man, I was really just living like a hypocrite. I was living, uh, I was living in a way that didn't match up. I was trying to lead these junior high students and I was li- lying. Uh, I, I was going too far in physical boundaries with women and I was doing all of these crazy things and uh, trying to live my life um, in a way that was godly, but uh, I wasn't. And, and because of that, it led me to a thing that I want to talk about uh, this morning is just simply as compromise. Uh, and when I talk about compromise, it's simply as uh, bailing on your convictions, uh, bailing on your convictions and not living to the standard that God has called you to be. And so when I look back at that life, I was just thinking like, man, what was I thinking in that moment? What was I thinking at that time, in that moment, in that place to where I was living that life like that? And for some of you, uh, as you think about your life and your story and where you've been, uh, we all have those what were we thinking moments, right? Uh, I love the NBA because they have these, uh, these crazy moments like, what are you thinking? And it's always funny and it's always hilarious about, hey, guys, they're making these silly or dumb mistakes um, but uh, it's called Shacked in the Fool. Anybody's ever seen that? Right? And it's like, man, what were you thinking? And we all had those moments in our life to where we live, and we're thinking, man, what was I thinking in that moment? 
And, and that's what we're just going to talk about um, today is compromise and what that looks like. Uh, and and, and we'll, we'll just talk a little bit about that. Um, it's great to be here. Uh, Pastor Neb and Hewitt, man, uh, aren't you guys grateful for them? The foundation that they stand in. Uh, it's 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 going to be difficult to preach, <laughs> follow him and preach. You guys are so used to really high standard of preaching, but I'm going to do my best. And uh, hey, listen, uh, we're we're among friends and family here. So if I say something that you like, you can say yeah, you can say amen, you can say hallelujah, you can say shake that tree, whatever you want to say, you can do it. If I don't say something, if I say something that you don't like, uh, just keep it to yourself, man. All right, just. Just keep it to yourself and tell me after or something. And just submit all of the, your, uh, your um, things you don't like. Just give those to Ermias, and he'll take care of those. Um, but let's pray, and let's get into this. God, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love. Lord, we thank you that you're good all the time. Uh, Lord, we thank you as we were just singing songs about, about who you are and your identity and what you've done for us and how we crown you king, God. And, and Lord, uh, you're, you're just so good. Lord, as I, I get to share my story, Lord, Lord, I pray that um, as we hear this morning, God, that you would be among us. Lord, we thank you that you are among us. And Lord, we just pray that uh, the words that I say would be able to, to penetrate on the hearts and the minds of, of your people, God. Lord, allow me just to be a vessel, God. I'm just an extension cord. Uh, God, nobody um, gets excited about an extension cord, God. It's, it's, I'm just an extension cord. That's it. So God, let let me magnify your word and your truth. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Yeah, so we're talking about compromise this morning. And so as we talk about compromise, um, and I begin to do that, I think one of the greatest consequences of that was um, shame. And so as I began to live a life that was um, in hypocrisy, um, shame moved into my life um, because I was embarrassed and and. And because of the things that I dealt with, um, shame moved into my life, and it caused me to question the goodness of God. It caused me to question whether I was actually good enough. It caused me to question, and as I transitioned to, to where I am now, to when I became a pastor and, and became a husband, and it caused me to question my enoughness. Am I going to be a good enough pastor? Am I going to be, does God even love me? Am I, am I enough for him? Am I enough uh, as a husband? And so, Whatever season of your life, whatever season that you're in, uh, whatever season that you've made those mistakes, it could be whatever it is. It could be drinking too much. It could be addicted, addicted to pornography. Maybe you've crossed those boundaries in, in relationships. Compromise is when you bail on those convictions and you settle for less than what God intended. Uh, and so uh, our goal this morning is just to talk about those uh, and, and to, to really set us up to, to understand compromise. And you may be in one camp. You may have thought about some times when you did compromise, uh, or you might be in a time right now that you are uh, in compromise. So we're going to look to the hope of that, and we're going to look in that hope. And, you know, the best place to look for hope uh, is in God's Word. Amen? And so in Exodus chapter 2, that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, Exodus chapter 2, we're, we're going to look uh, the story um, and uh, about Moses, uh, and and uh, we'll get that. I think we might have it up there, maybe. Uh, if not, just follow along and we'll we'll read it. So Exodus chapter two, verse eleven through fifteen. You guys with me? Say yeah. yeah. All right. It says one day 
when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by the well. As we look at Moses, he's very familiar with compromise, and his most compromising moment was actually, actually murder. Now, as you're sitting there today, you might say, man, I've never committed murder, so I'm good. But um, we all know about um, the times when because of our passions, because of situations in our life to where we, we get this focus, this trance of sin to where we begin to follow our passions. And here's the things about those passions is that they become, um, they lead us to this place to where we don't think about what's, what's right. It just begins to... Uh, it's all about what feels right. Does that make sense? And so it leads us to that place to where we're wanting to do only things that feels right. And that's what Moses ha- uh, happens. That's what happens to him. You don't think about your future consequences. He doesn't think about, hey, if I kill this guy, then I'm going to have to leave my home. He just lives in the moment and he kills someone. And so as we see this, Moses enters into shame. As he compromises, it leads him to shame. And so uh, this morning, my goal is just to give you four truths about shame. Uh, I, I'm sorry, about compromise. And uh, here's what I'll say. Uh, my first point is that compromise is often the result of fulfilling a legitimate desire in an illegitimate way. Compromise is often the result of fulfilling legitimate desires in an illegitimate way. See, Moses sees injust- injustice. He sees oppression. And he says, hey, I, I got to do something. I got, I got to get out there and I got to do something. And wh- what he does, he, he, he has the right mindset, but he kills someone. And, and that's what compromise does. It, 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 there's this sense that you're trying to fill a need. You're trying to fill a void. When, when I was entering in relationships, I had this void. I had this need that wanted to make me feel worthy. I wanted to, to feel loved. I wanted to feel like I was needed, that I was valued. And so that was a need that was sent from God. God put that need there, but because I tried to fill that need with other things, that's what, where I entered into shame. Does that make sense? And so when we begin to fill other needs, when we begin to fill um, those passions in illegitimate ways, a legitimate need in illegitimate ways, there comes shame. And, and, and here's what I want to tell you is that I wanted to, to understand that I wanted to feel like I was lovable, but really Jesus had already declared me lovable when he, he died for me. And listen, I wanted to feel desirable, but through the cross, Christ made me desirable. And I'm, I wanted to be feel significant and respectable, but through Christ, he had already made me those things. But I, had, I didn't understand those things, and I was trying to fill my, my needs and those passions in illegitimate ways. And so... When we look to those things, um, they only bring us shame. They only, uh, only bring us pain. And so for us, we have to make sure that we, that we understand that. And it leads me to my next point, which is um, compromise always has consequences. 
Compromise always has con- consequences. And this isn't a newsflash, right? This isn't like breaking news. Dun, 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 no, no. Everybody knows that compromise has consequences. Let's look at Moses in, in his life. He grew up in the palace. He was uh, the, the represented, he was uh, the daughter, he was the um, son of a prince, uh, the princess. And, uh, you know, grew up under, under that guise of being the, the daughter of a princess. And he was in um, Egypt under that guise. And he, everything was great, right? Uh, but in a moment's notice, he kills someone and he has to flee. And for the rest of his life, he spends, for the next 40 years, he spends his life tending sheep, his father-in-law's sheep. Think about that. One moment, it's truly rags to riches, right? One moment, he's in the palace. One moment, he's doing all, all these things, and he makes a bad decision. And what happens? He has to run for his life, and he's out there tending his sheep. And you've got to think that Moses is like, man, how did I get here? How did I get here? And then shame and all these things like regret. Does that happen to you? When you think about where you're at, have you ever made a decision and, and you think to yourself, how did I get here? How do I get to this point to where I never thought that I would do these things and never thought that I would be in this moment because of the consequences of compromise? And, and here's what I'll tell you is if you're in the season of compromise, this is the best place for you. This is the best place for you, and I want you to be here, and you're coming here to a church and hearing these things. But listen, we love you enough for you just to be, to stay the same person. In Proverbs 14, it says, there's a way um, that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. And so what if that's your story right now? What if you're compromising and you think that, man, this is the place that I should be. This is the place that I should go, and that end, that path that you're on is actually death. Man, we have to wake up. We have to understand that compromise always has consequences. And I believe the greatest consequence of compromise is shame. Shame. You know, I tell people all the time that sometimes the shame of an action is worse than the actual action. Because shame, it just creeps into your life. It creeps into your life and it tells you that you're not good enough. And so here's what happened. When I made those bad decisions, when I did those things, I gave shame vocal cords. Shame began to tell me certain things. Here's what shame began to tell me. It it told me that what I had done is now who I am. It distorted who I was. It distorted my identity in Christ. And so now, instead of people seeing me, instead of my decision just being I failed, I, I, I believed that people saw me as a failure. And I wasn't able to deal with that. It, it, shame caused me, um, said, said to me that I was inferior because I was damaged, because I had messed up. Because of the things that I had done, I had messed up and I was inferior. It also said that God couldn't use me because I was unworthy, I was unqualified. You can't be a pastor. You can't, you'll never be as good of a pastor as some of these other people that never made these mistakes. And so we give shame vocal cords. It also said that I was unworthy. That I was, I was unworthy of love. That I was unworthy. We felt like that. It also made me feel like that God didn't like me. Yeah, I know that he loved me, right? We sing songs all the time that God loves us, right? I think that's easy. But that God didn't like me. 
uh, he would one day, this future version of me, when I got my act together, when I got all my situations together, when everything was perfect, then God would like me. And so I tried to distance, I tried to distance myself from my past and I said, this is when God will love me. This is when uh, he'll, he'll love me. This is when he'll actually like me. And so um, how could I not question my enoughness? If shame was saying those things to me, how could I not question your enough, my enoughness? And for those of you that are in this room that, are, that you feel like shame is telling you those things, it causes you to question your enoughness. And, and here's what I'll say is that if you look in, the, in this passage in the Bible, that Moses begins to struggle with his enoughness as well. If you look in Exodus 3.11, God actually, um, three, uh, Exodus 3, God actually comes to him after 40 years and says, hey, listen, I want to use you. I want to use you not just to save one person, but I want you to save them all. And he comes to Moses, and this is what he says. These are the things God says, hey, I want to use you. I'm going to bring you. I want, you to, I want to use you to bring all these Egyptians, these, these Israelite, Israelites out of Egypt. And here's what Moses says. He says in, in Exodus 3.11, he says, who am I? Who am I to bring those people out? In Exodus 4.1, he says, they won't believe that you sent me. In Exodus um, 4.10, it says, I can't speak. I'm not an eloquent speaker. I'm not someone that can speak to the people and they'll believe me that you've sent me, God. And then in verse 13, he says, oh, my Lord, can you just send someone else? In this passage, Moses begins to question his enoughness. He says, all this time I've been tending my sheep. I've been doing all of these things, and I can't do it, God. And he says, God, just send someone else. God says, I want you to do it. You can do it. He says, no, send someone else. You can do it. I've gifted you to do that. No, send someone else. I've told you that you can do it. I'm sending you. No, God, just send someone else. And he questions his enoughness. He begins to question his his worthfulness, his worthiness. And listen, here's what's the crazy thing is that the whole reason he had to flee was because he saw an injustice, right? The whole reason why he is in this situation is because he saw an injustice and he wanted to do something about it. But in the moment where God tells him, hey, listen, I want you, I'm going to equip you to do something, he says, I'm not enough. And that's the problem with shame. That's the consequence of shame is that it tells you when, even when God tells you that you can do something, shame will convince you that you can't do it. And that's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous consequence of our compromise is shame. And so he says that he's not enough. And here's what I think about Moses. As he was sitting there tending those sheep, as he was there in the moment, as he was tending those sheep, I, I wonder, as, as he was looking at those sheep, was it a daily reminder of how he's messed up? Was it a constant reminder of that he's not good enough, of how far that he's went, how far that he's gone, he's gone too far? And shame steps in. Shame steps in says that he's not good enough. So here's what I want to ask you this morning. Has shame gotten vocal cords in your life? And what is it telling you? Has shame gotten vocal cords in your life? What is it telling you? And before you listen to it, you need to hear my next truth. And that's the cross has the final word on your compromise. You guys hear that? The cross has the final word on your compromise. It's a good time to say amen. 
to lead you in there, but hey. The cross has the final word on your compromise. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, and it's going to be kind of graphic, um, but it makes sense. Just I'm going somewhere. Just trust me. Growing up, there's a game that I, that I played that a lot of people played, and it became a popular game. Uh, and this game was uh, Mortal Kombat. All right, anybody ever heard of Mortal Kombat? Um, now, the uniqueness about this game is because you could actually put in some codes, and when you put in these codes, it would up the violence, right? It would up the violence on that. So you could see these crazy violent fatalities on screen, right? And so as kids, we were like, we got to get those codes. We got to see that. This is, this is awesome. We want to see those things. And so Mortal Kombat, you would be fighting your opponent. And when you beat your opponent, there would be this phrase that would flash across the screen. All right? You guys know that, that phrase? Finish him, right? That would be the phrase, right? And so when you would do that, when you would see that phrase, you would put in the codes, and then you would execute these, these fatalities. And so I would put in the codes, and I would literally see my character rip the throat out of the opponent, just rip their throat out. Yeah, it was awesome. Blood everywhere. It was crazy, right? And, and it was like we put those codes in. It was awesome. We, we, we said, man, this is, this is awesome. And you execute those things. Now, why do I tell you that? Why do I tell you that story? When Jesus went before Pontius Pilate, he was standing there. The crowd yelled to him. What did they yell? Crucify him. In a sense, they were saying, finish him. Yes, Matthew. In a sense, they were saying, they said crucify him, but they were saying finish him. And then Jesus goes to the cross. Stay with me. Jesus goes to the cross, and he declares it is finished. And when he goes to the cross, he dies, and he goes to the grave. And then this is what he does. He goes to the grave, and on the third day he walked out, and this is what he does. He rips out the vocal cords of your shame. Listen, on the third day, Jesus gets, gets, he goes in that, he wakes up, he goes to the grave, and he rips out the vocal cords of your shame. And so here's what I want to tell you this morning. You no longer have, have to listen to shame because it no longer has any authority. You have no reason to listen to your shame. Shame has no right to tell you that what you've done is now who you are. It has no right to tell you that. Your shame has no right to tell you that um, you're lovable but not likable to God. Your shame has no right to tell you that you're unworthy, that you're unworthy of good things, that you're unlovable, unlovable that, you're un, uh, that you're unusable. Listen, because Jesus Christ has ripped out the voice box of your shame. So stop listening to it. Stop listening to your shame because it has no right to do that. Do not give it its voice back because Jesus has eliminated that. And listen, the cross has to have the final words in our lives. And so here's the problem that I think we have is that we have a misguided understanding of view of what Christ has actually done. See, we think of our record of sin. And here's what we think of. We think of a record when we... We think we get our, we find out our record of sin and, you know, whatever's on that record. And so I, I don't know what's on your record of sin, but let me just write some things. 
And so let's just say that this is on your, your record. And I apologize about the, the handwriting right now. All right. Um, so let's say these, maybe you don't see your record on here, your, what you've done on, on, on here. Um, but here's the thing. This is what I think is that we have a misguided understanding of what Christ has actually done for us. And so we think of our record, and, and oftentimes what we do is that we try to cover up our record. We try to cover it up. We try to hide it by doing different things. We try to do things like, um, it could be like disciplines. Or maybe if I pray a little bit more, what if I, uh, if I just allow myself to, to uh, be better uh, in certain areas, we try to discipline ourselves. Or, or sometimes we do this as well. We, we compare our, our sins to someone else and say, well, I'm not as bad as this other person. So I'm, I'm, I'm not too bad. And we do all these things. And, and the reason that we do those things is because we have a hard time of understanding what Christ has really done in our life. And we try to cover our failures. And so um, here's what I want to tell you is that in Colossians 2.13, here's what I want to show you. Colossians 2.13. I want you guys to see this. Listen, to believe that your record still exists and, 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 you're con- and you consider yourself a follower of Christ means that you don't understand what Christ has really done. In Colossians 2.13, I want you to check this out. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your fle- flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us most of our trespasses. Is that what it says? Having forgiven us all. What does it say? Come on, say it. All of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Listen, Jesus has canceled your debt, and he's paid for your debt. There was one time where I invited some people to eat with me. I invited them, and uh, I didn't know very well. I was trying to witness to them, and I invited, invited them to, to have a meal with me. And as we were sitting there, we were eating, uh, I pulled out my wallet just to, to look at something. When I pulled out my wallet, I noticed that I didn't have my, my debit card. And I had invited these people to eat with me. So it was expected that I was supposed to pay for them. You ever been in a situation to where you're, you're trying to have a conversation with someone, but in your mind you're kind of freaking out, low-key? That was me in that moment. And, and they were sitting there, and, and the waiter comes and is like, hey, uh, you guys want dessert? And I was like, please, God, don't let them order dessert. And one of the guys ordered dessert. I was like, no, how are we going to pay for this? And I was, you ever like look in your wallet again or in another place, like to see if it's still there, like magically appeared, like, let me look in this. Like, I know I didn't put it there. It's still not there. So this whole time I'm freaking out and thinking about, man, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to ask these people to pay for the meals. It's going to be so embarrassing. But earlier um, I had seen one of my professors. He came to the table and he said, hello. And uh, I didn't think anything of it. 
and uh, I went to the bathroom really quick to try to catch the waiter. And I was, and and I came out of the bathroom and I saw the waiter and I said, "Hey, listen, um, I, I don't have my wallet." He said, "Hey, listen, I meant to tell you that that guy that came by your table, he already paid for your meal." Listen, if listen, I was about to call an altar call right there in that, in that place. I, you know, I, I was like, man, it took all it had, had in me not to say Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, in that whole place. And, man, I was so excited. And I was like, man, God, you love me. You understand. And that was amazing. But here's what I want to tell you is that it would be crazy for me to try to come back and pay for that meal. Sorry, I've been paid for. It'd be insane for me to try to, hey, I, I got to work something up. Maybe I got to do something better, or maybe I can wash some dishes to cover this. It's already been paid for. There's no way for me to do that. And so when Jesus says that he's paid for our debt, it's been paid for. There's no ands, ifs, or buts, or anything like that. It's been paid for. And so when we think about this, we have to understand that our debt is paid for, and it's gone. And here's the thing about this, is that not, not only has he paid for it, but he's forgotten our debt as well. And so it no longer exists. It no longer exists. Here, let me, let me put this here so you guys can't see it and make it real, right? It no longer exists. It's not back there. It's not even back there, guys. It no longer exists. And so, but listen, that's good. But listen, it gets better. And listen, it gets better. Um, because in 2 Corinthians 5.21, let's look at this. Listen, this is so good. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, check this out. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So here's, here's, here's what Christ has actually done. He has not only forgiven our debt, he hasn't only just forgotten our debt, but he's exchanged our debt for his righteousness, right? He's exchanged our debt for his righteousness. So, so now Jesus takes our debt, our sins, and he exchanges it and he gives us his righteousness. And so now when we walk around day to day, when we walk around and God sees us, he doesn't see our debt. He sees what? Righteousness of Christ. And so as you're walking around, as you're thinking about your mistakes, you have no right to think about your past. You have no right to think about how you've messed up. You have no right to think about that. Stop giving your shame vocal cords because it no longer applies. God has given what theologians call us the great exchange, the great exchange where he exchanged our sin for his righteousness. So now when Jesus sees us, he sees our perfect record. Like when Paul writes in Romans, that's why Paul writes in Romans 8.1. He's, he's the chief of sinners. And he says, uh, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Paul was considered the chief of sinners. He killed Christians for a living in the name of God. He says, I'm the chief. But he says, you know what? There's no condemnation on me. That's why he's able to say that. Because he understood the great exchange. So listen, I don't know what's on your record, but let's just assume it's the worst thing. It's been paid for. Do you understand that? Do you understand your record has been paid for? So stop acting like it's not paid for. 
It was impossible when I found out that that guy paid for my food. It was impossible for me to act any differently. Immediately, there was no shame. There was no worry. There was no regret. I knew that it had been paid for. So why don't we do the same? Why don't we do the same? Here's what I'll say. And for some of you, I hear this thing that's, that I think is bogus. I mean, is that we have to forgive ourselves, right? You got to forgive yourself first. Um, but how can, you, how can you forgive yourself of something that God says that no longer exists? It don't make any sense. It no longer exists. So stop trying to, to work it out in your mind or anything like that. It no longer exists. Listen, here, here's, here's what I'll tell you as we get ready to close. Um, my final point is that compromise doesn't have to be the end of your story. It can be the beginning of a new one. We see this in Moses' life. Moses is, is out there and he's tending those sheep. And what seemed like punishment, God turned that into preparation. He was out there tending those sheep. He was out there tending that and doing that work. He was out there doing that and God turned that to preparation. And God says, hey, listen, I got a mission for you. I need you to rescue two million people out of Egypt. And he goes out there and he, and he does that. And he, he goes out there and he rescues that. And Moses is regarded as one of the greatest leaders in biblical history. He sees amazing moments, sees amazing things that God has done, done for them. And, and so that wasn't the end of Moses' story. And that doesn't have to be the end of your story. And when I was talking about my story, and it wasn't the end of my story either, is I, um, when... Uh, it's funny because it, when I made those bad decisions, I had to go back um, to my pastor and before the leadership, and I had to tell him all that I had done. And it was really embarrassing. I, I was full of shame, and I hated going back to that area because it reminded me I was scared that I would run into people, and they would see me as a failure, right, instead of just a momentary thing that had failed. But something happened several years ago. When, when I begin to believe this and understand this and believed all these things, I got an opportunity to preach at that church. An opportunity to preach at my home church. And I also got an opportunity to speak to the, to the leaders of that church and to speak into them. Listen, I don't know where you're at um, in your story of compromise. I don't know if you're in the midst of compromise right now. I don't know if you're, you've had maybe some things that happened that you compromised on in, in your past and you're still struggling with that. But I want to tell you is that there's grace and mercy for you, available for you. And shame doesn't have to be, um, shame doesn't have to tell you who you are. We can allow God's word to do that. And we're going to get ready to worship God and so the worship team can go ahead and come up. But here's what I want to tell you is that um, God can take your story that you thought that was awful, and he has a better story. All right? And so I don't have to hide my story. I don't have to be, be full of shame in my story because God has given me a better story this morning.
And so let me, uh, let's just pray for a second. Just bow your heads for, for me. And I just wanted to ask you, what, what have you compromised in? Maybe you're in a season of compromise. And you've compromised some things and not really lived up to, to where God has called you, what he's called you to be. And you find yourself in the midst of that place. And as you're, you're, you're in the midst of, of your compromise, and, and maybe you're not in the midst of it, but maybe it's you've compromised in the past. And because you've compromised in the past, you've given shame vocal cords that it's speaking some things over your life that you're not good enough and so you're trying to fill different needs and you're trying to fill different things in illegitimate ways just like Moses just like I did and you find yourself listening to shame I want to tell you this morning that God has already taken the vocal cords of shame like we said earlier and I want to I want to ask you this morning if you'll just begin just to receive his mercy. And as we talked about that record, that your record no longer exists, that when God sees you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you believe in the, the saving power of him, then you have no record. And so, Father, we just ask that you would allow us, your word says we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. And so, God, I pray that we would understand what you've done in our life. What you've done in our life, God. Lord, and so we, we just ask that you would continue to do this. That you continue to, to understand this. Before we lead in the worship, I want to tell you just one last, last story. Uh, or just look at one last passage of Scripture. And... In Colossians 2.13. It talks about God canceling the debt, but in verse 15 it says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in Him. Now, this writer uses the word triumph um, for a particular reason is that when you see that word triumph, triumph was a thing that everyone knew about. And so what a triumph is, is it would be when a, when a group of people would go out for victory and they, they would go out and they would say, we don't know if we're going to survive. We don't know if we're going to come back conquerors or victorious. We're going to go out. And when they would go out and they would succeed in that, people would come back and say, our king has triumphed. Our king has triumphed. And what they would do is they would go and they would bring that enemy. They would go and they would bring that enemy into the camp. And they would strip him naked. And they would parade him in the streets. And the reason that they did this is because they wanted the people to understand that the person that previously that they oppressed him, the person that previously had, had given, that they had given power to, and that they were fearful of no longer has any power. And so they would throw stuff at them. They would look upon his nakedness and they would know that he is no longer a threat. 
And this is what Paul writes and says, that Christ has triumphed in us. That through him, we have that triumph. So no longer do we have to live in fear and shame because Christ has triumphed. So listen, can we stand? And as we worship, I want you to think about that. I want you to think about how Christ has triumphed in your life. You no longer have to have um, shame, guilt, or anything like that. You can trust in the saving power of Christ.